1: Dear son, please stay here with me, knowing the one and only truth within. We are infinite beings of love, light, and warmth that nothing can change or hide. It is here where your true self remains the same, no matter what anyone says or does. It is here where your life's challenges hold purpose and beautiful rhythm. And it is here, dear son, where we first met and will forever hold hands in time. Valeria Telles interviews Nadia Davis, the author of Home is Within You, a memoir. Nadia Davis has a lifetime record of passionate work improving the lives of others. The youngest of seven children to ethnically mixed parents of Native American, Mexican, and German descent, her father was her inspiration. Wallace Davis an orphaned field worker who later became one of the first Spanish-speaking attorneys in California, whose successful lawsuit brought an end to discriminatory ability grouping of non-English-speaking children. Nadia received her B.A. in sociology with a specialization in juvenile justice from the University of California, Los Angeles, in 1993. Her Juris Doctorate from Loyola Law School in 1996 and was admitted to the state bar in 1997. At UCLA, Nadia led numerous efforts to empower, and at Fox television show, In Living Color, and studying better ways to assist paroled youth at the David Kenyon Juvenile Justice Center in South Central LA. In law school, she chaired the Public Interest Law Foundation, studied human rights and environmental law in Central America, and transcribed law books for a blind student. Following law school, She independently authored a handbook and conducted seminars throughout the state for immigrant youth seeking a higher education, protected the rights of new citizens against unfounded accusations, and spearheaded efforts to unite political parties in the county. Nadia has overcome multiple challenges. She is a survivor of child and adult trauma. As an adult, she abruptly lost her father, a child in utero, and best friend in just a year. In July of 1999, she suffered a near fatal car accident. After months of rehabilitation, she returned to work in her wheelchair and eventually walked again. Nadia's work focus shifted to assisting victims of interpersonal violence. As executive director of the Alameda County Family Justice Center, she led collaboration efforts of multiple co located public, nonprofit, and government agencies in an effort to provide more easily accessible and efficient services to victims of domestic violence, rape, sexual exploitation, and child abuse. Meet Nadia at Nadia-Davis.com. Here is the interview with Nadia Davis.
0: In your own words, who is Nadia Davis?
2: First, I want to say thank you for allowing this space. And I have not been asked that question directly in a long time. My life has brought me to a point of knowing that I'm not a body. And at the core, you know, I'm, I'm a spirit. I'm, uh, we all are beyond you know, this present time and space. And when I remind myself of that, um, I can go in and out of, you know, living more in a duality where I remind myself that there is light. I can be in light while there is darkness in this life, in this world. With that, I, in my physical being, I'm a passionate advocate for everything that involves you know, healing, human rights, uh, people's truth and dignity, autonomy, being respected. That began very early on as a child. And I had parents that, that did model that in their work throughout um, professionally or, or as a, my mom as a homemaker. And so I am a mother at my core in every single way. I'm an attorney by trade and a Kundalini yoga teacher by trade and now a writer. And in all those ways, a human being that just wants to make the world a better place. That's what drives me. That's what gives me hope every day. That's what just is my source, my life force, my, my source of, of living. And in addiction, that's, that's smothered. And um, today, I'm I'm very grateful to be back into who I know is my authentic self, Nadia Davis. So,
0: thank you for being you, Nadia. And with that, I love this thought even that comes from knowing, or even transcends knowing. It can come from a realization in the moment in time, which is so. When you think about it, it's beyond even rational thinking, that we are beyond our bodies, So we are beyond thinking. How did you discover that? Was that a moment or a process, a journey?
2: It was definitely a process and a journey. And I don't think I would have been ready to hear it, you are not a body, if I hadn't gone through a journey of of trying everything that that really was not serving me and was not me and um the woman who told me that um Miriam Paul is a wonderful human being does a lot of work um in you know ego mind understanding how our mind works and a lot of stuff in Course in Miracles and various various you know Bradshaw various beautiful people that that work in that area but her core message to me at the beginning of my journey was, you are not a body. And I almost took it, you know, offensively because <laughs> I felt so violated and, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and had been identified as a body and identified myself as that. And so kind of allowed myself to be treated as that. And, you know, it uh, it certainly was a journey and a process.
0: When you say that, that makes me think about suffering, that for most of us, that's what it takes. Mm-hmm. to suffer in order to realize the truth, as I call it, with a capital T. From your perspective, Nadia, does it always take suffering, do you feel, or we can learn in a different way, in a more gentle way?
2: I think it does take suffering, yet I was blessed to find the practice of kundalini yoga and the teachings, and what was part of my journey after hearing the message You Are Not a Body was that through suffering, we can see what is not us. And another mentor of mine, um, Priya Jane, she actually just talked about this, and it was there's a a, a mantra, and it's "nathi nathi atma," and it's like what does not serve me, and or what is not me. And so when I heard that, it allowed me to accept cry over the suffering that there, that there is a, a bigger meaning and to kind of look back and go that's what I was doing I was simply running to stand still to find what my truth was and what everyone's is and so that got me unstuck in the suffering and pain and I, I, unstuck is a strong word it never goes away yeah, it's kind of what, what we do with it. And so, I, yes, I do think that it is suffering that, that is required. I do think our, our existence in physical form, in finite form, is that journey. It's
0: limited. And in a way, like you said, it resonates that it's easier to recognize who we are not than who we are.
2: Right. And most people ask the question, like, you know, who am I really? And they seek to find that. And sometimes it's easier, especially for folks like us that have had that drama, trauma, to ask the question that you just asked and is what was not, what is not me. Right.
0: Kundalini Yoga, I have interviewed people on the topic, but I don't know much about it from experience. So talk to me for a moment about what that is and how do you teach Kundalini Yoga, Nadia?
2: Mm, Thank you for asking. I found Kundalini Yoga three and a half, four years ago, and it was at a local studio, Seventh Chakra Yoga, and I asked the same question. It sounded like a roller coaster, you know. And it seemed uh, it was almost a word that was kind of off-putting. And what I learned was it was absolutely the experience of the class that taught me what what it is. And so, if if anyone wants to know what it is, you really have to experience it. Yet on book, um, it, it is an ancient practice from the East. And it, um, it started actually with the royalty and families that that did it, you know, behind walls. And there was a man who defied that and brought it out to, you know, the streets and was, was the, the the door opener to everybody um, receiving that. And then later another man um, brought it to the states and so that's how it came to the states it, the way that i like to describe it is it, it's a full kind of physiological technology where it it helped me in particular with you know chronic pain issues and a mind that was just rampant with shame and you know, guilt and self pity, and a whole bunch of other character defects, as we call them. And I, um, I loved the fact that it, it uses sound, you know, gong, sound bowls, um, uses mantra combined with a lot of breath work and kriyas, which are, which are sets of exercises, um, always breath work pranayama in the beginning and always the meditation at the end and so it's like a full experience wherever you're at in your head if it's you know anxiety and just the breath work if it's more and more and more of that to become you know an observer of your mind the thing I also loved about it was all the teachings there are so many teachings you know, from positive, negative, neutral mind. Um, so, so many, Rasas and, you know, the Journey and the Ten Bodies. There's, I, I can, you know, go on and on. I'm certainly not an expert in each area, yet I can share my personal experience. And it, it's just a whole, uh, you know, historically based, fully integrated practice. And you can pick different pieces of it and or do the whole the whole thing in one class.
0: It sounds wonderful to me. I love yoga. I practice myself meditation and asanas, but not specific kinds. I always read about and I interview so many people we talk about here. And I love this idea of integrating what we call parts of us, which to me is all, in itself they're whole. There's no such a thing as parts anyway. Everything it's it feels like, but it seems like that's what we are trying to integrate. The almost the mind we are trying to understand psychologically and rationally something that cannot be understood, that we are already whole, that there's nothing that's separated.
2: One thing I want to point out is what, what really, really struck me most in reflecting back on Kundalini Yoga and its impact personally was that in other practices, I, I felt my mind, you know, taking over, um, of, you know, whether it was holding a position or, or beating myself up for not being able to quiet my mind enough and in this practice it it's like full acceptance of where you are and and the duality it's like we think in polarities of all we need to only live in light or or we're in darkness or my mind needs to be completely still and thoughtless and what i love about this practice is focusing on what we we really truly are which is you know infinite spirits yet accepting you know we're in this physical body and it's often you know in polarity so let's get to okay I can live in this dualistic way and if I'm in meditation and my mind is going it's a huge deal if I am saying my mind is going you know what I mean versus beating ourselves up and, and saying oh, I can't do this right you know so so that's what I really love about the practice is anything that's happening in your body or your mind is, is just embraced and there's something to, to learn about it.
0: Yeah. Oh my God, I love that, Nadia. <laughs> that is, uh, to me, that's the key. That's, that's it. Yeah. Accepting unconditionally this moment as it is, or even becoming the moment, which we are anyway. <laughs> So, do you consider yoga, a, uh, the practices of yoga, a spiritual practice, or it's just a relaxing and grounding practice? Personally,
2: for me, it's absolutely a spiritual practice, and and spiritual can be defined in so many different ways, and it really is individual. Um, I found through Kundalini yoga, you know the the Japji poem and language and it, it is to me sadna is like a morning practice where that is played first it's like 28 minutes of a man's poem um of his experience actually dying and coming back and in a you know he drowned in a lake it's not like some uh claim of of physical you know of some higher spirit or anything it's a practical story and it's this beautifully written poem and i identified with it so much because it was the first time i read anything that that encapsulated what i had personally experienced when i i wasn't breathing after a car accident and had all these injuries and i couldn't find peace with that experience Then coming back into this physical life. And it was just this, this, I was unaware that that was the struggle. Now I look back and I can see that. But for me, the spirituality in the practice of this yoga is, you know, settling in and, and saying one mantra, you know, one simple like eight words. And it literally is what you said. It's, I mean, it's ekonkar satnam. Kartapurik nirvōnirvēr. Yeah, it's you know eight words and ajuni saibang and it's ek from nothingness. Nothing is vibration frequency. Satnam. One is that you know things are created from that vibration. One is you and your true self without fear nirvōl, without judgment nirvēr. And then it just goes like formless, timeless, and it just ends. And it's these eight words. And that is so much my grounding spiritual tool. Even if I'm not necessarily like in some enlightened space, it it puts my mind in its place. <laughs> it's it's a very spiritual practice for me personally. I'm on the opposite extreme end with Physicality of it, um, my body can be hurting, hurting. You know, if I'm sitting in an easy pose too long, and so I'll move into rock pose, and it's it's the exact opposite. I am like fully in my body, and can't really get out of that. And so, for me, identifying the pain and breathing into it for me that is a form of spiritual. Practice in the past
0: that cut me off. It very much sounds like even the way you speak <laughs> that can be transmitted. It's being transmitted, breathing the pain um, and not trying to escape it. Right? That is. That has been one of the biggest lessons that this body has learned <laughs> to stay with pain. Right? And learned uh, not learn really. What is it that we Get from that, it's almost like um, it's a form of freedom, isn't it, Nadia? When we are mm-hmm. able to realize that this is uh, the experience of being a human body and includes everything, and it's just the experience, and it's just the realization of that. This is just the experience which contains dark and light, both. It cannot be just one, it's duality.
2: The same thing as we were talking about with, um, you know, spirituality and meditation, and how. We will often beat beat ourselves up if we can't, we expect ourselves to quiet our minds completely versus in this practice, you know, becoming, if you can just observe that, then that's growth. And for me, with the physical pain part, in our modern world, the the healing of, of chronic and physical pain is you know, physical therapy and medications and everything is so bodily focused. And when I was doing movement with breath, the pain tolerance just—it's it, almost like it—it—it it, 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 it allowed an ability to just surrender to it, just as it did, like surrendering to my to my mind and to the suffering, emotional, physical. Wo- spiritual, wherever I was at. And so that was how those two things, the physical breath and pain versus the mind going nonstop, it it provided that like middle ground space to just go, okay, this is, this is just what's going on right now. And I, you know, yeah. So the same thing in meditation was a love for, you know, for some space and the physical
0: pain. I would talk to you forever about these things, <laughs> nonstop. <laughs> you wrote the book, Home is Within You, a memoir. Your book will be released on December 8th, uh, 2021. Talk to me for a moment, Nadia, about the inspiration and the main intention of writing your book. There came a point
2: after... Years of recovery where I knew I had reached a point of sufficient awareness and and support and tools that things were all coming full circle. So quote unquote, full circle, that can mean a lot of different things, but it was, it was almost just you know, moments where I would either feel I've been here before or, or, you know, my children would do or say something and there'd be a reminder of something that happened that I thought was maybe painful, yet that helped me in that present moment be a better parent. Um, Just a lot of full circle experiences where I was able at that time to turn back to an old friend of mine who knew me since I was 15, who Works in uh, storytelling and uh, production now. And she had asked me to write after the Arthur Carmona case and my car accident. Um, and I was in my late 20s. And then life took another roller coaster, I should say, or a, a beautiful change in many ways, a painful beginning of a journey. And I was in a practical life where I, it wasn't even a thought to write. And so when I, it was actually early last year prior to social isolation and COVID where I reached out to her and I said, I think it's time. And I had been writing a lot in recovery and in treatment or just here and there a lot. And had had piles of, you know, journals and other things. And so, she said, "You know what? Just just start." And I said, "I I need to start as though I'm writing to my sons, and I don't want it to be just about me. I I can't I can't do that." And she goes, "Well, it kind of has to be, Nadia." <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I said. <laughs> mm you'll understand what I mean, uh-huh. you'll understand what I mean I don't you know there's gonna be present intertwined with the storytelling of others and then leading into my own my own to you know help people and so you know the first thing I did was go through all those piles and figure out okay what what will be used here and what won't and then once that was down, I had the chapter titles pretty quickly. They, of course, changed, but the initial draft was extremely therapeutic. And it is very different what is there now, because it was such a beautiful healing process to actually write it. And I'm thankful that I was able to do that. Um, You know, while my children were in preschool and And then when they were with their father, I I took that time. And then it went through, you know, several drafts of growth and more full circle realizations. And it just evolved into that title. It initially was called Dear Son, the whole book. And the woman who helped me with the editing and actually the cover designer, the wonderful woman, she said, you know, it doesn't really, I've read you know, parts and uh, Dear Son is is so perfect, yet it doesn't capture your whole message. And so in our conversation, that's how the title came to be. And having each chapter start with Dear Son is that much more meaningful. Huh. So that was the process.
0: Right. And I have asked the question before, what do you think, what makes writing so healing Do you have some ideas, Nadia? That's a wonderful question.
2: I cried. I enjoy. I cried in so much depths of pain. And um, I cried in self-forgiveness. I cried in, you know, anger. And I think what was the most profound thing about writing was having something documented pages pages and pages and pages and pages later knowing you wrote something that related to it a hundred pages later. So being able to go back to, you know, what, what was, you know, and having um, actually physically in front of you kind of that proof, you know what I mean? And so, um, but for me personally, I did this for my sons and, you know, my father's legacy and my mom and, you know, Arthur Carmona, whose story, you know, Fighting for Justice, was, was never told. And um, so it was an honoring others and in honoring myself and putting into an actual book people can hold in their hands a piece of vulnerability. And I knew in my own willingness to go there. That that's what the writing gave to me.
0: I love the yeah, how you titled the chapters. As I said, off record, them alone was like I had so many questions to ask, and <laughs> they were topics for many conversations. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, I love, of course, the one that we have been talking about, Chapter Two, dear son, you're not a body, nor the thoughts your mind makes. That is. So powerful if if we are ready and open to understand this. And then another thing, chapter four, that caught my attention too, when you say, Dear son, justice is but an idea unless someone makes it real. Talk to me for a moment about that, Nadia.
2: Oh wow. Well, we have, you know, the symbolism of the woman blindfolded with the scales of justice, and that's one of the beautiful symbols of, you know, a working or a just government. And, but we, we expect it to be blind and we expect all the facts and truth to be disclosed and presented. And that can't happen unless people document facts and truth and, and get it in to the judicial system. And so, and it could be something as formal as a case, but it also can be something as simple as, you know, a, a child uh, being pushed in a line repeatedly and, you know, treated unequally for whatever reason by uh, the classmate and a, a child going up, you know, and saying, Hey, that's not right. And I, I consider that, you know, justice too. And so what I meant by making it real is it takes action. It, it, there's a stimulus and then there's a response. What What's happening there in the middle? I mean, Brene Brown talks about this also and allowing, you know, what, what's happening right there in the middle? What's the response and how are we responding and why? And so there's there. There's an instinct of unfairness, of inhumaneness, and we can't stop that unless someone takes action.
0: Talk to me for a moment about darkness and healing trauma. It says something that it's also a journey? And what have you found, what methods, healing methods, have you found to be the most powerful ones when it comes to trauma and darkness? Ooh. I know. I, <laughs> a long question back there
2: in my head to, um, to a space, you know, I, uh, I came to real, true, deep, intense trauma work at the last stage. And it, and it is the most important thing yet the often item that's that has to be put last on the list, if especially if you're in the system where you have to be okay, you have to appear okay. You can't, you know, dive into that work because you will be a mess if you're really, truly, truly, you know, getting into the core trauma, especially if it began in childhood. So for me, um, I thought I had, I thought I had addressed it. Yet the uh, adult stuff that happened was so profound. I thought once I had, and I don't. I was about to say moved past. You never move past it. You you learn how to how to walk with it and respond differently. Um. But once I had that, and the ability today to to know. I am still triggered by things like fraud or or illusions that there is fraud happening and so those that in and of itself is work but that superseded or overshadowed the childhood stuff that really ultimately was the reason that there was re-traumatization because I hadn't dealt with the childhood stuff so the, the the modules and things that that came to me were from a center that focuses very much on trauma treatment for women, and and they're dealing with it through substance use disorder, or substance um, abuse, and that it really begins with the trauma therapy. And I had thought, you know, it was the opposite order. And for many people, it has to be that. It makes me, it saddens me and it makes me, you know, slightly angry that the system, again, or, or treatment um, is not more focusing first on, on what, what happened to this person. How are they handling pain and what did they learn about handling pain? And, and so to answer your question specifically, what entered my head, When you first asked was a room through EMDR that I had to go back to that remained my uh, structure of relating to everybody else in the whole entire world throughout my life. And I only could get there through Kimmy Hunkle and uh, a place that I had gone to in my initial uh, start with recovery and sobriety yet went to, you know, as early as, as as recent, I should say. And I, you know, I still am in contact with her as, you know, a couple of years ago, year and a half where I had to redo some stuff. And, uh, it was EMDR that I thought was bogus. You know, what is this light? This is just some (laughs) technique, (laughs) but it really got me. And, and she, it's not just the technique, but she got me to, to, get into my brain into uh, that room where um i was able to see how beyond these four corners of a doctor's office everything was dark and there was this way that i responded and parts of me roles and survival instincts three to four that were so predominant that i saw me as you know a little girl twisting and turning and various ways of survival. And those stuck with me my whole life. So it wasn't just one session. It was multiple. And I think that that really cracked me open.
0: Yeah. Uh, For those who don't know, Nadia, please talk to us about EMDR, what that is. Exactly. A lot of people don't know about this method.
2: Sure. It's like eye movement desensitization. And it's, it's a you know, it's a machine and the light goes back and forth or some, or the therapist can hold like a wand and she can have it go back and forth. I actually had to start with that because the light going back and forth was just too overwhelming. I couldn't, I couldn't get there initially at all. Yeah, I was just overwhelmed. And that is uh, a tool that's used to, um, to create, to desensitize the trauma so that your the focus on the light allows you to take in re-experiencing something a little less traumatically yet enough to get you in there. And that that was my experience with it. I'm not a professional therapist and you know someone in that doing that professionally would would need to define it. Yet it is It is a desensitization through eye movement.
0: I know. I have talked to a lot of professionals about it, and it seems to be very powerful in healing. And that's because it has to do with rewriting the interpretation of the trauma. So it's making a different conclusion out of that. And I love what you said earlier about those uh, that trauma doesn't really go away. It doesn't disappear. But... We learn how to deal with it, how to maybe rewrite that, as some say. That Beautifully, I love that message because it is so true, so, so true. So we are almost at the end, and I have so many other points here, way too many. I love Chapter 9, where we talk about self-care. That is a huge thing for me, unconditional love and self-love and, and self-care. And chapter 14, also, if you want to go quicker, go alone. If you want to go further, go together. The message of doing things together, we are not alone. It is by working in community as one, which I do. It's not a belief system anymore. Everything is connected, interconnected, connected. So why not realize that? And then uh, so many other, I'm going through here, my notes, um, I love the message, chapter 17, dear son, the end is often the beginning. <laughs> I love that. That's <laughs> so true.
2: <laughs> that what, was the trauma work, really. It was the beginning, you know, it was the beginning and what structure of relationship to the world had built as a child.
0: Yeah, yeah. Beautiful. Thank you so much again, Nadia, for your presence in our reality. The work you do and how you do it, it's just beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. And before we say goodbye, I do have some ending questions, but I also would like to mention something else that caught my attention in your book. Towards the end, you write, Life is no longer a struggle, but rather an adventure. Life is no longer lived in the past, but in the moment. Today, I hold my children living wholeheartedly, connected to the truth and home within me. I love that ending. I mean, it's not really the ending. (laughs) There's no ending, but that's beautifully written, beautifully said. Thank you. And uh, before I ask you my final questions, would you like to add anything else or read a passage in your book, Nadia?
2: The part after that, I mean, I, I'm i just very, very honored to have met you and to have had this conversation. If, you know, there's anyone out there that it, uh, would like the book, that can't afford it, please contact me. This is to help people. And I just hope that it's a way for people to Find their truth and hope and light and strength, you know, within themselves. That the search isn't for stuff outside of us; that it really is in each of us. Um, and the part that would be wonderful to read is the the last paragraph. And actually, that's in the intro of the book, also. So that part is. I've got my glasses here, but it's dear son. Please stay here with me, knowing the one and only truth within. We are infinite beings of love, light, and warmth that nothing can change or hide. It is here where your true self remains the same, no matter what anyone says or does. It is here where your life's challenges hold purpose and beautiful rhymes. And it is here, dear son, where we first met and will forever hold hands
0: in time. Uh, Beautiful message. Thank you so much again, Nadia. Um, How many times I can say that? (laughs) I do this for a reason. So my ending questions, let me ask you these questions, the open questions. How do you define love these days? What is love to you?
2: Space given to another and received where one is allowed to be vulnerable and grow and find and exist, you know, in their true selves, without
0: fear of abandonment. Success. What is success to you? What is your message about what success looks like? And for you, of course, we can only define success on our own. But what is your message about success or the idea of success?
2: The first thing that entered my mind is internal peace. The other part of me is you know the external knowing knowing my truth and my sons my children seeing a parent their mother you know doing the best she can to live in that there's no perfect days but they see that that's the longed for and the often daily lived life so if I in my last breath know I've helped them and others in my life any anyone suffering with you know mental illness addiction chronic pain to accept their emotions and thoughts and not let that nor others take them away from that peace within I mean that that will that will make me feel successful
1: yeah
0: another beautiful message yeah finding the space within that's uh, wow, that holds everything as you described. I I love that word too. Inner peace, the peace within. It's making a
2: difference, you know. Like you are, it's make it's making a difference is success to me.
0: Yes, I agree. That's um, thank you for the uh, for the encouragement. The body appreciates, Nadia. <laughs> and three more questions. What do you love most about being in a human body?
2: Hmm affection, the unspokenness of, you know, holding my children or, or a safe person holding me. It's, you know, the honoring of this is our existence. There's no need to fight it. It's this, this is, this is us. We are in, in this physical body and in this body, you know, it's trained to be in survivor mode you know, but also the body is amazing in how it heals itself. It it never fails to, to shock me. And so, and you know, uh, living creatures don't, I mean, there is always renewal, uh, but the, the human body is just amazing. And, you know, even in with brain injuries or there's an adaptation and it's, it's just um, so, but for me specifically, I'm a very affectionate person. And so I, I appreciate and enjoy that most and can use also my mind, my physical brain to solve
0: problems. Yeah. Oh, I love that message too. This is our existence. We are in a human body, so why not appreciate it for what it is, right? Even. That includes the limitations and everything. Why not?
2: There's so much beauty, though, in our bodies. It's just, you know, when we look at stallions and, you know, wolves and them, you know, the admiration for their survival and their beauty. It's, you know, we we can have that and should have that,
0: too, with our own. I love the word you use. It's amazing. It is amazing. (laughs) It is amazing, Nadia, to be here in a human body. It's incredibly amazing and to see the different forms, right? How unique everything is, the expressions of life. Yeah. So two more questions. What is another word for healing? Mm, rebirth. And my last question is, what are three things you wish everyone to experience before they lose the body, before they die? Their home within, there's peace and space
2: within them and a real, true, deep belief that that is not their end, that their physical death is not their end. And they know that they will be always in spirit with their loved ones, past, present, future, that this that, that was just one part of their journey.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a beautiful, beautiful, lovely idea that really helps if we can hold that too. although I really love the idea of freedom in the sense of accepting, even if there's nothing after this, it's okay too. This has been amazing to be here in the human body.
2: To to have no
0: fear of death, it is not an end. Right, right, right. Absolutely, yes. Another billion times to that, there's no ending. (laughs) Thank you so much again, Nadia. I love your presence and the wisdom, the healing wisdom that you are expressing here and now. It's just beautiful and peaceful. So, before we say goodbye, where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? So, you can
2: go to www.nadia-davis.com and that has the book there and you can pre-order now, but you can also order it through me directly and get a signed copy now mailed to you. And so you can reach me at nadia dot home within you all one word so nadia dot home within you at gmail.com wonderful and also contact me through uh, the website and sign up for a newsletter there and there's yoga classes for free and information there
0: also I'll have the links, the email and the uh, website on your podcast profile too.
2: All the social media links are there and um, uh, free classes and stuff like that. So please reach out. And again, if anyone is absolutely knowing of somebody that can use um, the message in the book, please reach out to me if there's a financial problem or
0: anything. Wonderful. Thank you so much again, Nadia. And we'll talk soon. Bye for now.
1: Mm Thank you for listening. To learn more about Nadia Davis and her work, please visit Nadia-Davis.com.